0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. This morning if you will turn in your Bibles let's see if you'll turn in your Bibles with us to First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. We're going to kind of look at this this morning in just a moment First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 very familiar passage to us and, and to many others but As we listen to this this morning as we see what God has in store for us I, I want us to look at this and, and and understand a few things last week I discussed uh that I would talk about abuses in the church this week But I postponed it for a few more weeks. And one of the reasons why is uh, because before I can talk about those abuses, I must first talk about the intentions of God's word and his commands. Now, let me be this clear that this morning's message is not a complete, uh, is not complete and should not be taken as a conclusion of the matter. And what I mean is not that I haven't had, I don't have a, a mindset or a decision or a thought about this, but it's not the whole of the matter. There's more to this to come. In fact, my intent behind this sermon is to to dispel the teachings of those who see this particular topic as the end-all of the church and more. Yet, Scripture has much more to say about ecclesiology or what I'm calling in this sermon series churchology, um, just as simple language. Scripture has more to talk about, and over the next few weeks, I'll be reading a couple of former sermons uh, to tie in in order to bring this discussion forward into the application we're having today. And as with every subject, every fallacy, every heresy, and doctrinal disputes, they sometimes they seem to be decided upon, but then they come full circle and they come out again. And I'm not saying that everything we'll talk about is an answer to heresy, but sometimes we, we intentionally leave things out. Sometimes we intentionally only go so far because... In doing so, it we can be right in our own eyes. And that's why when I read in the scripture in, in Proverbs eighteen this morning, you know, it's it's fine when someone gives a testimony, then someone else comes and questions them, you might see a different testimony that comes from it. And and so it, it's right sometimes when we talk about things and in, including in, in, in the church as a whole, we we find it easy to gather people around us that agree with the things that we want to talk about. And it's real easy for us to get the yes and amens when those things come. But when it comes to that person that questions that teaching, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to to discuss it further? Are we willing to go to God's word and grind this out as Scripture talks about iron sharpening iron? Are we willing as the body of Christ to truly do so? And that's the hard part. Because when iron starts sharpening iron, it comes into conflict with the other piece. That means it's going to take, it's sometimes painful. Sometimes it, it, one is going to change the shape of the other. And when, when we come to those moments, we need to be wielding not our sword, We don't need to come yielding our hammer, but we need to come yielding the word of God in those matters. And so we can have disagreements. Yes, we can be sharpened by one another. But as we continue with this, I want us to think about this. One of the criteria that I believe uh, needs to be understood and we need to use as a lens for our teaching and discussion is the difference between descriptive and prescriptive texts, and I'm not going to go deeply into this, but over the next few weeks, you're going to see this, the difference when we read the text of scripture, is it descriptive or prescriptive? And I'm going to give you a basic definition if you real quick, okay? A basic thing, descriptive texts give a description of how things were conducted, the character of the individual and so on. It's a description of those things. The prescriptive texts, and I'm open to furtherance and discussion and criticism on this, but prescriptive texts give distinct guidelines for how things are to be done according to God's intentions for the individual, the family, the church, the state, and so on. It's more than a description. I mean, it's it's kind of like it, it, it talks about... Uh, it, it, when Jesus said, if someone asks for your cloak, give him your tunic as well. If someone asks you to go one mile, go two miles. It does not mean necessarily that these are descriptive. It doesn't mean that if someone needs a shirt, you start taking all your, your clothing off to give it to them. Okay? It's not, it's a descriptive of our willingness to go the extra mile, to go the extra distance for the kingdom of Christ, for his honor. So some texts have one, some t- texts have one or other, and in some cases they have both. So we need to be able to uh, find that out. So this morning, let's look at and answer this question: Is there such thing? Is there such a thing as the clergy laity divide? Is there such a thing as a clergy laity divide? Well, we're going to look at First Peter chapter two for this reason. Okay, this question—it it, how ha- it, uh, it's all in definitions, really, uh, of how you look at this. Um, and and and, I, and I'm not, like I said, it's not going to be a, a final thing when we start talking a little further next week regarding a couple other subjects. You'll understand where this goes, but First Peter chapter two. This passage is going to be important to us. We're going to break this down and, and verse by verse, point by point today. You know, Rush wrote something very specific regarding the clergy laity. Laity is not a word meaning lazy. Laity means when people would say is the average person, the, the average person in the church. And the problem with the reason why this question comes up is, is there a clergy laity divide? Now, as I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks, we're not necessarily talking about a divide, but is there a clergy laity distinction, or should I say, is there a distinction between elders and and others? Okay, and I think when we look at this uh, this aspect today, you're going to get the clue of the base of what the average person, the average call of Christ on the individual is. And let me say this, that average call, everyone who is in Christ receives the same call. So let's look at this. Rush said in his systematic theology, he said, the layman does not leave the church when he walks out of the building. If it is not his life and his calling, then he is never in the church on Sundays either. We have seen that every man is called to be an elder, an elder over his family And in his calling, the synagogue, and for a time the church was constituted when ten heads of the household's elders came together. It is the elders who established the church as an institution. To this day, in many denominations, the pastor is not and cannot be a member of the local church. He is its teaching teacher and pastor, but it is the laymen who are the members. The church cannot be restricted to the place of teaching nor to the teaching ministry, it is a dominion ministry, and this dominion is to be manifested in the life and the work of the members. And I want us to see this for a reason today. I'm going to lay a foundation, but I want us to understand this. The central focus of the church is not the clergy. The central focus of the church is not the clergy. The central focus uh, is Christ. And his call upon his bride, the church. And so, when we look at this laity, clergy, laity divide or distinction. Let us first start here that the most important thing is if we are not the body of Christ, if we are not, um, as as he says, if we if 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 our life is in his calling is not to be the church then we're not on Sundays the church either. If we don't see God and his law word being uh, infiltrating every aspect of who we are every day and everything as as individual believers, then guess what? We are not the church on any day. And the goal and the, the call of Christ upon us is that he does not want to just impact our worship on a given day of the week, one day or three days or three times a week or what have you, but he wants to impact every moment of every day, both for the individual, the family, the church as a whole, and the state and beyond. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us in verses 26 to 33, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done, for the building up, built uh, for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two, at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And when we look at this, when we gather together, we are to be a people um, of order. We are to be a people who seek to honor God and all these things. Now, in most churches, let's just be honest, in most gatherings uh, on a Sunday or whenever the main gathering is... We must agree that most situations it's not multiple people speaking, correct? It's not. And and maybe that's a wrong thing, but in the size of a of a gathering that we have, it, it might not be unheard of. And we also have had situations in the past where we have others who've come and have been present with us and there's something that's said or a question that's asked and what do we do? In the midst of those things, we we give teaching, we give correction, we give encouragement, and that is an acceptable thing of how the body of Christ is to work. But please understand that when we do this, it is a God of order and a God of peace and not a God of confusion. So when we look at this, what what does this have to do? Um, what does the clergy-laity divide have to do with us? And let's go on. What does This is a question, that, and here's a point for your notes this morning. What does the priesthood of all believers entail? People ask, what is the priesthood of all believers? What do we believe in all that aspect? He calls us in our theme passage, what? A royal priesthood. Now, is what, what, what do we know about the past? Was it, but prior to Christ, was everyone a priest? Prior to Christ's coming, was there everyone a priest? If we look at Hebrews, we find that he is what? He is our great high priest. He is greater than the high priest. Why? Because he entered the Holy of Holies. He entered the sanctuary. Unlike the, unlike the priest who could only enter the, enter the Holy of Holies once once a year, right? And for the transgressions of men, he himself had, a, he was impure and unclean in and of himself. And he could only offer the sacrifice once a year. But Christ comes and what does he do? He appears, he sits at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. He he intercedes for us. The well, is a priesthood of all believers, though, until he says, We're a royal priesthood. Now, when we talk about that word priest, that's the that's a word in, in the Greek. It's the heratiuma, which means the office of priest, the order or body of priests. And for him to come to us and now say and we find in First Peter two. What do we when we find this passage when he says to us that you are a royal priesthood. You are what? What does that mean? Well, first off, they're what? They're set apart. They're set apart. Go ahead and progress that. He said you're a what? you are set apart. You are a chosen priesthood, right? your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And who does this calling as we talked about last week? Just as Abraham was called, who called Abraham? God called Abraham. Did Abraham set himself apart? No, God called a man out himself. And we find that the original priesthood in Deuteronomy 18, when we looked at it, said the Levitical priests and said all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food as offerings, as, uh, as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance. And he goes on to say in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 18, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord and it, him and uh, his sons for all time. He was talking about whom? When we go back. Uh, the high priest and we talk as we look at this, these people had no inheritance but their Lord was in his inheritance. and I want us to talk about this. We're not priests in the situation of saying that we are priests over others and and this is why he calls us a royal priesthood. So we're not priests over others, but what are we? We are people that have access to God. We are called of him, and we're not only just called of him, we are people for his own possession. We are a people that, uh, that, that are to, as, as the priests of old, we what? We stand and minister in the name of the Lord. We, we do more than that. We know that more than just that we stand and we minister, we stand and we preach, we stand and intercede on the behalf of others. We don't need to do that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what do we do? What is this this whole thing? Who is our inheritance? Jesus Christ is our inheritance, the greatest reward of all times. But the priesthood, as we look at this, the priesthood is, is something. And we're not going to go through the whole passage of Scripture in Numbers 18. But he tells it. He says in verse uh, in verse uh, seven, he says, "I give your priesthood as a gift." When you talk to Aaron. The calling of Christ, the salvation that we are, are is given to His elect, is a gift, right? What did we talk about last last week? We've talked about before. that what? How are we saved? How is one is a what is is you're saved by what? By grace through faith, and this is not your own doing; it's the gift of God. salvation and our priesthood, our calling unto him is a gift. It's not a curse. It's not a curse upon the individual, but it's a gift and it's an honor. Romans 8, 28 through 30 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his promise. And it says what? Those whom he foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are set apart by God. That's what the priesthood of believers means. Secondly, under that, these are people who are to establish holiness in his temple they established holiness in this simple. He says what in our, our theme passage? That we're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession do what? They do the things that God has called them to be do and to be the people he's called us to be. Numbers 18, it goes on, it says, uh, verses 4 through 7, it says, They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of the meeting for all the service of the tent. And no outsider shall come near you, and you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, and there may uh, that there may never be again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel; they are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the Ten of meeting. And you and your sons, you, with, with you, shall guard your priesthood for all that all that concerns the altar and all that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give you your priesthood. And once again, I come back to this. I give you your priesthood as a gift. And that gift, when we look at this, we're not talking about the same in the same essence. We no longer have someone who who we bring a, an offering, a guilt offering to the sacrifice on our behalf. When we sin against a holy God, what do we do? We go to Him. Now, are we doing that of our own uh, volition, our own ability? No, we we're doing it because we are not. Our sin is what is not covered by our great acts and our great works, but our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, once and for all. And so, when we go before a holy God, He's given us a purpose as a priesthood of all believers, and that is to establish holiness in His temple. Well, it's interesting when we talk about the word temple and when we say that, that 1 Corinthians 3, he says, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, Don't you know that you are God's temple? That you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is what? It's holy. And you are that temple. See, as a people of God, we're no longer longing to go to the place where only a certain group of people can go into the uh, inner places and, and only a certain person once a year can go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. But we as his people, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, can go into the presence of God and we are called and we are set apart to not only be holy, but to establish holiness in his temple. We are not to degrade the temple according to the things of this world, but we are to be a living example before others of the holiness, the character, and the salvific nature of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When we hear that, if we are a temple, we not, ought not get puffed up that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's such a thing that we we ought to we not ought not be puffed up, but we ought to be humbled by the fact by the fact that God has done this great thing, that God has done this work. One of the most essential things for me to hear and to know by this passage of scripture, by this teaching specifically, is that there's not one man or one, one man in the pulpit on any given Sunday or in any uh, in any place of position of teaching that is greater than those who are hearing that message. We all equally are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We each equally are not our own. We each equally are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ at a price. Therefore, we're to honor God with this temple, honor God with this body. if I am a temple of the Holy Spirit and you as a fellow believer, as a called out man and woman, young lady, young man of God. We together as the body of Christ, we need to honor him not only individually, but together. And we do that by not being unequally yoked. In fact, I, I think in 2 Corinthians 16, when it talks about to come out and be separate from them, it's not going to some some utopian society, as I've said before. It's not to be go off and go purchase, go purchase a thousand acres and withdraw from the world. But no, we're to be a different people, a set-apart people, exactly what we've been called as. Yeah. And there ought to be a people who has no agreement. As the temple of the living God, we should have no agreement with the idols of men. Whether it be a nationalistic idol, whether it be a denominational idol, whatever it might be, we ought not be associated. We need to be a people set out and set apart. There's something else about the the priesthood of all believers. The priest had a responsibility, and what and one of this that they proclaim the gospel. Three, proclaim the gospel. You know, from our from my background, from our background, I I was taught so often that the pastor of the church, being a being that we were, that my my beginning and most of my life, I I was a Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, and, and one of the things that always came to me was that we always looked up to that pastor. That pastor was as if Jesus was speaking in the pulpit himself. And I have no problem saying we ought to look and long. Daily, weekly, as we come together, every time we open it it, it, and we hear God's word proclaimed or we read it, we ought to hope and our, 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 our desire is that God would speak to us. But that man in the pulpit, those men on TV, they are not, they are not Christ in the flesh. They are what? They're sinful men. All of us have been given the same call to an extent to the very beginning of this. The priesthood of believers would do one thing. We, would, we have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. In fact, in our theme passage of 1 Peter chapter 2, in, in, verse, in verse 9, he says that we are a, royal, uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what purpose? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness when we talk about the gospel it's the word euangelion and so there's a long thing here but ultimately the gospel is the good news of jesus christ it's a it's a it's the the news of his of his birth his life his sinless life his death and his resurrection giving conquering sin and death the gospel is not just about salvation. The gospel is about some things greater and how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, affects all of life. And you all heard me preach on the social gospel and why I believe that the gospel is social gospel and I, there's nothing wrong with the word social justice warrior because the gospel what when it affects us it changes a society when it when it comes when we hear the gospel and we is it it, it it has its full effect what does it do it changes the man the old is gone the new is come and, and and however that is it will always affect a culture it always will affect a society and and the gospel is about justice As we talked, we heard this morning that that we are to be a people, and Proverbs 18 talks about a wise people. What do we do? We seek justice, and we don't seek to oppress. The evangelion affects everything. The proclamation of the gospel ought to be something that accompanies the people of God, not just a class of people, not just uh, an office, but it should be all for all of us. In Romans chapter 10, it says, how can they call on him who they've not believed? And how can they believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Whether it be from the pulpit, whether it be in the streets, the feet of those who bring the good news, preach the good news proclaim the good news their beautiful feet and that is not assigned to just a man or a group of men but that proclamation is given to each of us. See the priesthood of believers fourthly their identity is found in Christ alone. their identity is found in Christ alone recognizing as our theme as we're writing that down our theme passage says you once were you were not a people but now you are God's people our identity is found in him in him alone once we receive the mercy of the Lord our identity can be found in no one else Philippians chapter 3. Paul Paul gave this exclamation in verses 2 through 11. He said, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself may have reason for the confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul so greatly says to the church at uh, at Philippi, Listen, whatever I counted, I was no one compared to Christ. And my identity, when Christ came and saved me, changed me. My identity cannot be found in my works, in my heritage, or any of those things. My identity is found as I have died to myself in order to live for Christ. And he counted it gain that he might suffer and die in the same way Christ did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's why we go here in verses 16 to 20. says, we don't regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What Christ has done for us is not only given us a reason, a proc- we're called to the proclamation of the gospel. We find our identity, and our identity is in Christ. In fact, as we continue on, our identity is not in our denomination. Our identity is as we go and we do what he has called us to do through his great commission, Is as we make disciples, as we proclaim the gospel, it's not Our gospel, it's his good news, his gospel. And as we go, our identity is in him. It's not as a good Southern Baptist. It's not as a good Presbyterian. It's not as a good non-denominationalist. It's not as a Pentecostal. It's not as whatever. It's as those who follow Christ because we find our identity in him and in him alone. The priesthood of all believers also has something very specific. uh, Number five is they have access to God without an earthly mediator. And I know I've already said this, but they have access to God without an earthly mediator. For each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus, and kiddos, I want you to hear this. I want you to look at me and look carefully at me and listen carefully. You do not need Your father, your mother, your pastor, your family, anyone else to go to God. If you're in Christ Jesus, we go to him. We need no other mediator. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have his Holy Spirit indwelling you and he he empowers you and he gives you the same authority as I have. The same ability to go to him at any moment. You don't need me to call upon him for you. There is no greater power in my prayer. It, it, no more greater power in my seeking of him than you going to him yourself. Christ destroyed the dividing line between the Holy of Holies in heaven. When we talk about when Christ dies, and he, he, what happens? The curtain of the temple is ripped from the top. To the bottom, isn't it? The Holy of Holies is opened wide. And the God who hasn't been present in that Holy of Holies for a very long time, what? He reveals himself in the person of Christ Jesus. And he gives us the ability by his Holy Spirit to go to him. And guess what happens? You know, even scripture talks about when we don't have words to speak, we don't know what to say. The Spirit speaks with groanings on our own behalf. You know what kind of gift that is? That's why the Roman Catholics have it wrong. They don't need a priest to pray for them. They don't need Mary, the mother of Jesus, to intercede on their behalf. They don't need a saint to intercede on their behalf. They do not. And and here's the thing. Blows my mind. We don't need to have an altar call where people will come forward to have the pastor lay his hands on them and pray for them. They can go to the same Savior on their own and go and receive that same forgiveness. They can receive that same prayer, that same uh, that same uh, same healing. They can receive those things. They don't need another man to do it for them. They have access to God. I am just—I skipped, I can't tell you how much stuff here. In Romans 5, he says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And and for those who, who might be listening or might not be used to I use so much scripture down now, guys. I, I use a lot of scripture because here's the thing. My my, my opinion doesn't matter. My word doesn't matter. It's his word. and His word tells us that we, by faith, we are able to stand in, in the presence of God and have peace with him. In Ephesians 2. It tells us, uh, verse 11 through 22, it says, Remember that, that at, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus you have who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ for he himself is our peace we have a peace to be able to walk into the presence of God because Christ Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens." With the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also will be built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And if that's all true, and we understand that. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, and let's just look at verse 16, because our high priest is Jesus. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to God that we have access without some earthly mediator to do it on our behalf. Sixthly this morning, priesthood of believers, they have a great responsibility to know God's law word, and to make it known. The priesthood of believers have a great responsibility to know God's law word and to make it known. Without going into it too far, we know in Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we are to love God, we're to know God's word, and we're to what? We're, te- we're to, to meditate on it in such a way we what? We teach our children. We're to, we're to teach these things as we rise and as we as we lay down, as we walk along our way, as we work, as we go. We are to teach God's word. In order to teach God's word, what do we need to do? We need to know it. And we need to study it. We need to read it. And that's milk for the believer. We ought to know that if this is God's word to us, This Bible is God's word. What do we do? We ought to want to know it. And secondly, we need to make it known. And so one of the most important things for us as our for our gathering is it's not enough just to know what God's law says. It's not enough to know what God's law word says, but we must apply it. And how do we apply it? Do we apply it just in our short time on Sundays? Absolutely not. That's why, that's why Rushdie had that quote at the very beginning, why he said that if you don't apply it into life, I guarantee if you're not the church by living out God's word, applying it to your life daily, I'm pretty sure you're not part of the church on Sundays either. We're not living it out in that way. We need we have a great responsibility to know God's law word and make it known. And seventhly and lastly, and this will finish it up this morning: the priesthood of all believers. In destroying this, in destroying our understanding, the the clergy lady divided, that in this aspect, there is no divide. There is no distinction here, is they have a duty to uphold the signs of the covenant. And there's a lot of division on this. There's a lot of disagreement, and there's, uh, I shouldn't say as much division, but they have people have different op- opinions on this. But let's remember this. The God who called out his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The God who said, all Jesus who says, what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all I have commanded you. That same God didn't just start there. It didn't just start in Matthew 28. It's not just a New Testament phenomenon, but our God is a covenant God. And the same covenant God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, he said, he told them, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreign who is not of your offspring, both he is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. When we look at the circumcision covenant, It was everyone in the household of Abraham was to be circumcised, every male. And we look at this and we carry it forward. When we talk about this, we see the response of the church to fulfill the responsibility of the covenant sign of those who are followers of Christ. Do we take on our identification with Christ? And that's why we, we, we don't just baptize children because we believe we saved them. Absolutely not. We baptize them because we bring them into identification as a people who walk in covenant with our God. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39, that same language that we speak of the covenant with Abraham is the same language in verses 37 through 39 that is spoken here in the promise as we look at it. He says, Now when they heard the They heard the the words that were spoken to him. They said that there were cuts of the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for whom for you and your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That promise is the same promise. He tells them, repent and be baptized. And that's for you and your children and all who are far off. And if you look at the same languages in Genesis 7, in chapter 17, which we read, it was for you and his sons and those servants he were that were bought with money, everyone in the household of God. We find a covenant sign. But also in Exodus chapter 12, there were numerous we talk about the passover and when we look at it we know that the passover as well one of those covenant signs is what we we partake as, as our and our children partake of is as communion together and we don't take it lightly we do it joyously as his covenant people but in the same way in the old testament and the first passover before they they left and they they were they were to enter the promised land, which we know that they never entered the promised land, but before they crossed the Red Sea, he told them to take a, a lamb per household. And if your household was too small, what were you to do? Now I don't know about you, but when I hear the word household, I didn't I don't think of just me and my wife. I think of everyone who dwells here. And you take it and if your household was too small for a lamb, what were you to do? You're get with your neighbor and you're to come under one house and take together. It was such a beautiful thing, and and, and, and what is even repeat, repeated and continued to do so was even at this point in time that the children were asked, what do we mean by this service? What do we mean by what we're doing? And that's why the children were present. The children didn't starve. In fact, if you look at it, all the, the leaven was taken out of the house. There's all these other things that were done. The children were present at that Passover meal. I believe wholeheartedly that the, the, the children took and partake of that took of that meal. Um, the infants who nurse, those infants took partook of that meal through their nursing. It's the same thing, and as we look at it today, we pass that covenant on to our children. That covenant is not incomplete, but is more full in Christ Jesus. we remember that covenant as we take the Lord's Supper, we what we call communion, a common unity in the body of Christ. We sell them when we we take that we take that bread and I'll, I'll say it now because we often do this we always do this at the end of our our services but we take the bread and uh, what is that what did Jesus said this bread is what this is my my body given for you do this in remembrance of me right and at the end of the meal he took the cup and he said the cup y'all can tell y'all can say this the cup is what a new covenant in my blood. As often as we do this in remembrance of man, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we what? We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Beautiful thing, isn't it? That covenant sign of baptism and the covenant response of his people to remember not just memorialize, but to celebrate what Christ has done for his people. And as we look forward and, and the weeks ahead, weeks ahead, I'm reminded of the same thing that the early church did. And so often we we just take these things for granted. And whether it's descriptive or prescriptive, let me just share this with you. We'll talk about this in the in the next week or so. But Acts chapter two, we talk about the early church in the book in the in the in Acts of the Apostles, and we see that they devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God. To the fellowship, that's to the body of Christ. To the breaking of bread, what's important? It wasn't just that they ate a meal together. It is part of it. It's agape feast, yes. But what is part of that meal we just read, right? The breaking of bread. Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, saying this is my body. It's a reminder that as the body came together, as often as they did it, they did it in remembrance of him. And he said to the prayers, they prayed and interceded on the behalf of one another. They prayed for God's will to be done. They prayed for those who are in the persecution. They prayed for those who are establishing churches. They prayed for the body of Christ. It was growing. Right. And the church that God added to the church daily, those who were being saved because of these very simple acts it's descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. So is there a divide? That's one of the questions. Is there a divide between clergy and laity? If you're to the clergy versus laity, what you would be seeing, is there a class, two different classes of people? And here's the thing. Before we can even talk about truly a divide or a distinction or any of those things, what we must do what must we first understand that God calls each and every one of us to the same place, the same purpose, the same distinctions. Right at first, doesn't he? Do y'all know anything specific about an elder that someone who set us apart someone who's called to, to oversee a church? One of those aspects is they are a, P, a person above reproach they are a person who's supposed to be able to discern the word of god they're a person that do these things but what are those what are those always when we talk about those what are those characteristics those distinctions they start where with the individual being obedient to the call of god led by the holy spirit that's where it starts and before there can be a distinction made amongst others, we must understand that they are fulfilling their responsibility as the individual before God as part of the body of Christ. Whether we there is a divide or not, it starts there. And you know what happens? And it's actually tied to the family. You know what even happens? If that husband or that elder can't take care of his family, he can't take care of the church, can he? He has a responsibility to step aside from that responsibility, to step aside and set that calling aside until his family is walking in line at where it's supposed to be. His family is supposed to be a very important part of this. And so it goes back to what? An individual responsibility of his individual calling. Her individual calling for, the, for, the, for women in Christ, for young ladies and young men. It's our individual calling is where it begins. It's not necessarily about a class warfare here. We are talking about we as individuals coming and fulfilling our obligation, our responsibility, our duty before our Lord and God who has saved us and made us new and to fulfill all that he has for us. That's where it begins. That's not the end of it, by the way, but that's where it begins. And as we continue in the next week and we talk a little bit on the side of authority and other aspects, let's not forget if we are faithful with little, he will give us more. And we need to be faithful in the small things that he's called us to, first and foremost, before we look at. How we is there a divide? Is there a distinction? Is there a setting apart differently or a calling or giftedness or any of those things? We have to be obedient to the very base distinctions of who we are in Christ Jesus. For without those, there are no other places, no other distinctions, distinctions, no other callings for us. And we can't use our giftedness well. All right. We'll close here this morning. Let's pray and we'll close. And uh, let's honor God at this time as well. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Lord, although this is a lot of information, and it's not complete, in essence, it's not full, uh, full for this week, Lord, as we still have more to discuss in the weeks ahead, Lord, I pray that you take this. And Lord, I pray that you empower your people by the Holy Spirit. That, Lord God, that we would be obedient to the call your call upon us. Lord, it's not something we have to look and just try to figure out and discover as if we're trying to find ourselves. But Lord God, you have called us to, by your word, you have given us your your commands. And Lord, those who love you, your disciples who love you, follow your commands. We seek to know you and to make you known. We seek to honor you in all things. And we do this through the proclamation of the gospel, knowing that it's not because of, because of something we've done or we deserve, but because of you, Lord God, who you are, you bought us without a price. Lord God, you saved us, not for our own being, but Lord, for your own purpose. And Lord, I pray that we will seek those things. Lord, we would understand that we don't need someone else to enter your presence, to mediate on our behalf, because we have a great high priest in Christ Jesus who sits at your right hand, Lord, interceding on our behalf and waiting Waiting for all his enemies to be made a footstool. Father, all of life is for your for your your glory, for your honor. And Lord, I pray that we will see this. And Lord, my desire is whether it be in our generation or my children's generation, but my children's generation will understand that you have called them and empowered them for great things, great things. But that, that bring you honor. The great things that 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 glorify your name, great things that build your kingdom and not our own. Lord, I pray that you will continue to do that in and through this small gathering in my home. Lord God, we would not be ashamed, but Lord God, that we would be bold, empowered by your Holy Spirit to preach and do mighty things. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.